You're a failure. And that's okay. Hi, I'm Dan. And I'm Alicia. And, and we're, we're failures, failures too. too. We take a walk back through people's failures and relive the mistakes they made so we all can have more clarity on how to be a better human. Welcome to the 2020 Perspective, where we make failure fun. Are you ready to play Who Wants to Be a Failionaire? In this episode, our guest had the chance to fulfill his childhood dream of being on a game show when he won a ticket to the hot seat on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Zach Handler talks with us about his performance standing in the arena of the popular TV game show and not achieving his own expectations, and then having to bear this shame for a year alone. His stories about a dream becoming disappointing reality, failing to live up to his own expectations, and coming to terms with how it all played out. Zach is now a co-founder and workplace consultant and trainer with Double Dragon Coaching, a workplace culture consultancy. Welcome to the 2020 Perspective, Zach Handler. Thank you so much both for having me. You had mentioned something about you were on a game show, and I said, okay, did you win the game show? And I'm curious to find out what this story is, because I had no idea that you were on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, is that right? That's correct. Actually, most people do not know that fact about me. Um, so my whole life, um, I wanted to be on a game show. That's something my whole life I've wanted to do. Um, ever since I was a kid, uh, I was obsessed specifically with Nickelodeon game shows. I wanted to be on like Legends of the Hidden Temple so bad, like like right there Blue with Bear. you. Okay, uh, yeah, yeah, right like, there with you. Yes. <laughs> I actually dressed up in a costume one time to a party in college where I was the Blue Barracuda or the Purple Parrot or something. I feel you. I also just love watching game shows in general, and specifically Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. I started watching it back in 1999, like Regis Philbin, like that was my jam. So I guess flash forward to the moment, I've gotten five questions right. I'm at $5,000, the $5,000 question. Uh And the question that I'm getting is, If you travel to Milan, which of the following do you need to make a reservation to see? And the answers are Venus de Milo, The Last Supper, and two things that are not it, that I know are not it. So I'm like, okay, I don't know the answer. I have absolutely no clue. Um... At this point, it's the 16th season of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? So there's no phone a friend. Phone a friend has been expired. Wait, they they discontinued that? They discontinued phone a friend. It was like, remember it was like AT&T? It was like something, I I can see why. It's like we're texting each other, like, at this point, you know, like, there's no phone a friend. You can't even text a friend? (laughs) No text a friend. Wow. Wow, fall from grace, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Right? They do, however, have... A plus one, which is cool because that's like the person that came with me. So it was my coworker, Russell. So Russell is an awesome guy and Uh he is somebody who knows a lot about movies, TV, 
entertainment, comedy, like, he knows, like, any of those things, I'm like, he's golden. And we talked about it before. I'm like, what are your blind spots? What are your blind spots? <laughs> it's a strategy. <laughs> no, totally. I'm like, what, I'm like, what don't you know about? Because, like, I don't want to have to call on you or whatever. So he basically was like, I don't know that much about sports or art history. And I was like, well, shit. Like, those are kind of blind spots for me, too. But, like, we'll see. We'll make it happen. Whatever. So, you know, that, you know, we're in this. So it's like... Venus de Milo, The Last Supper, two things that I know are not it. So at this point, I ask the audience. So I go to ask the audience. The audience says it's either Venus de Milo or The Last Supper, of course. They're tied. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So I'm like... Real helpful audience. I'm like, shit, that didn't help at all. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, all right, well, I, you know... I could guess at this point, because it's it's a free guess at this point for 5,000. Like, I'm going to get 5,000. I'm going to walk out with 5,000 no matter what. So, but I'm like, you know what? I don't want to lose and say I haven't used all my lifelines, right? Because I'm like, at this point, I it's just a, it's just a straight guess. So I'm yeah. like, let's go 50-50. I was like, I know it's either the Last Supper of Venus to Milo. Let's go 50-50. 50-50 was The Last Supper and Venus to Milo. <laughs> Wait, so they don't... Okay, rewind. I am not a Who Wants to Be a Millionaire person. Oh, okay. So when you say 50-50, they don't mean between the two options that you Mm-mm. pick. It means between all four options. And they take away two. That's annoying. It is so annoying. <laughs> so at this point, I'm like, well, damn. Like, <laughs> I don't know. And I literally have no clue. Like, I'm not like, Mm -hmm. maybe, uh, I literally have no clue. So I just make a guess. I'm like, it's a free guess. I say, Venus to Milo, final answer. And I'm wrong. It was the Last Supper. No. If you were traveling to Milan... You wouldn't make a reservation to see the Last Supper. I didn't know. That's the thing about trivia. It makes, it doesn't make you feel smart that you necessarily get it right, but it certainly makes you feel like, who cares if you if you get it wrong? <laughs> well, I did in the moment. <laughs> well, okay, yeah. <laughs> because fair, I was fair. like, yeah, I was, yeah. So aside from you not getting the question right. I feel like because it was such a big deal for you to be on this game show that the failure is almost like the failure at like succeeding on the game show or something. You know what I mean? I don't know. It was almost like, did you feel, did you feel like you, you know, got that, you know, taste of what you were hoping to get? Or was it like I screwed up so early or, you know, how are you, how are you feeling? What were you thinking? Oh, that's a great question because, yeah, like, I ha- I built it up so much in my head. You're de- I was definitely not calm going into the show because they have you in a holding room with other contestants, but there's too many contestants for those that will be seen. So you don't know the order of who's going to be taken and when. And basically, when they run out of time, they're done. 
It's like a purgatory, but you don't know if you'll find redemption. Oh, there it's a purgatory, all right. Another piece of the purgatory is that they ever so often come around with, hey, let's do a fun, like, warm-up question, blah, blah, blah. And so they're giving you these questions. Some of them are really hard. I think I got, like, all the warm-up questions wrong. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it almost, like, psychs you out. Yeah. Not a warm-up. Not a warm-up. <laughs> the other piece of it that's pretty funny is that they're playing old episodes it kind of like has that doctor's office vibe and that they're just like playing old episodes of who wants to be a millionaire so you're just watching these old episodes and all you're thinking in your head is yo what if this were me what if these were my questions did i know that did this uh you know so it's it's uh it's kind of intense before it happens it's not like do you know what they could do just like have relaxing music kind of like a cool breeze energy like that's that would get people for a more like perfect performance (laughs) no they'd much rather have people coming in as if you know the dog just went through the fireworks show and then you put them up on stage yeah i think that's definitely intentional okay so let's go back to the all right you know milan things you have to get reservations for yeah what happened next so you got the question wrong you get the question your heart was crushed they whisk you off. They like, it's like you, one minute you're like standing under the lights, the next moment, shoo, you're off, you're out of there. So I'm back there. Uh-huh. Uh, Russell, who was my plus one, meets me. And all these things started pumping through my head. My adrenaline was going. I was like, I saw him. I was like, did I do okay? Sorry. Should I be upset? Like, he, and he was like, Zach, like, I think you did great. Like, 5,000 bucks. Like, when's the last time you made that in a day? And at this point, like, yeah, I'm in my 20s. I never made 5,000 bucks in a, in a day. I was like, you know, that's legit. Um, so, you know, then we're going back on the train from Stanford to New York City. And I, my head just starts to spin. And I'm like, Am I a failure? Oh my God, I am a failure. Did I let people down? Yeah, I let, oh my God, I let people down. You know, I wanted seven figures. I would have been happy with six. I at least needed that five. And I got that four. Wow. Well, let me ask you this. What could, it, what could you have done differently? Could you have done anything differently in this situation? I mean, besides picking the other option, of course, but like after the decision was made. My initial response is like, have visited Milan. (laughs) 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 But but honestly, um, I feel like I could have slowed it all down. If you listen to the question, it says... If you were traveling to Milan, which of the following would you need a reservation to make? And the answer is in there. It's the Last Supper. Those little clues that I just wasn't thinking about. Had I slowed it down a little bit more, I think I was like, I just don't know it. I'm pumped up. I just don't know it. I'm just going to guess one. <laughs> oh, okay. And was this, so, you know, is this like a kind of thing that you can practice for? Like, is there kind of like the 
the Princeton Review to Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? So let me tell you, I the week before I was on all these different websites being like, how to prep for millionaire, how to prep for trivia. And I was, you know, looking at like the presidents again and the branches of government and all these silly things. But the truth is you really can't prepare. It's random things that you either kind of know or you kind of don't. And yeah, I mean, there's, it's just, it's too many random things. Um, so it's kind of like you've acquired this knowledge by now, I feel like, or you haven't. I feel like there is a level of preparation that you can do, but I mean, a lot of this stuff, it's, it's so vast. So you're just kind of yeah. like driving yourself crazy in a way. <laughs> mm-hmm. So let's go back to that train ride, because that seems like... Oh, man. That's that's where the feelings start to come. <laughs> exactly. So, like I was saying, yeah, I mean, that train ride, it was just... I was asking myself if I was a failure, and I feel like I had my big moment. I had, you know, we talk about um, standing in the arena. You know, it's that, like, that Teddy Roosevelt thing. Uh, that Brene Brown wrote Daring Greatly. Uh, She got that from that quote. And I felt like I stood in the arena and I put it out there and I just felt like an absolute failure. And it was public. And the idea wasn't like, oh, you're a public failure. It was more of like, I let the people down. I let my people down. I let my friends down. I let my family down. And was this something that you had kind of set up for yourself? Like you set up these mile markers of, you know, living up to these expectations or were these actual external people's expectations that came to you and says, these are our expectations for your success on this game show? I completely made them up. Oh, okay. Yeah, they were, it was my own, um, my own expectations, my own ideas of needing to achieve and needing to perform at a high level. So, mm. and I feel like, you know, and going deeper into this, I feel like in some ways that is a way I've protected myself in life that I'm like, hey, I'm somebody who is achieved at a high level. So I can't be seen as um, unworthy of connection or seen as somebody who, who deserves disconnection. Wow, that cuts deep. <laughs> you know, when you, when you have your value, when you, when you derive your worth from success, I just read a really fascinating article on it. When you derive your worth from success, you tend to then set yourself up for situations you can be successful in. And that keeps you from taking the big risks, keeps you from going out there and like being a spectacular failure. And, you know, it also it kind of pigeonholes you, too, because you you just want to tackle what you know you can tackle or you think you could probably tackle. Yeah, you are in some ways. Yeah. Describing. um, Yeah. How I feel. About, you know, about a lot of things, you know, but it's a, it's a two-sided coin because it's like, I'm at the same time, I also love 
the feeling of standing in the arena. I love mm-hmm. the feeling of that's why I love games because mm. you, you're you're doing something inherently vulnerable with somebody because it's like we're both putting ourselves on the line and we don't know what the outcome's going to be and we get to play together and it's mm-hmm. great. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, so let's go back. You got off the train. And then you live the rest of your life. Like, how did you come to terms with oh my god with this experience? So, first, let me tell you. So, a lot of people when they are on a game show, they'll they'll put up on their social media, "Hey guys, I'm going to be on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire?" You know, like this is like even before it's taped. Just like, "Hey, I'm going to just have the experience of being on there." You know, here's my photo outside, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't do any of that. So people didn't really know, except my family knew and my mm-hmm. coworkers knew because Russell, who was my coworker, Russell, boy. my boy Russell, yeah. he, he was my plus one in this. <laughs> and we were out of the office that those days. So obviously it's like, yo, like I'm going to go beyond millionaire. Like, hey, I couldn't talk about what happened on the show. Like I signed something that said I couldn't talk about what happened on the show until it aired. Uh-huh. So that was like uh-huh. a year. So for a year, I had to keep... What? Yeah. A year? What? Yeah, a year. It took them a year to get the show from produ- from taping to airing. A friggin' year! No, thank you. So you're living with this for a year. Can you even talk about the results of the show with like... Your coworkers and family? No, no. Deep cover, deep cover. So that's that's the whole thing is I signed something that said I wasn't going to talk about it. So this is basically how it went down. Like with my coworkers, they'd be like, Zach, you were on Millionaire. And I'd be like, I know. And they'd be like, (laughs) are you rich? And every time you'd be like, ha, 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 I can't say. And they'd be like, you know, Zach... I know, I know you were joking around about this, but I just want to let you know, I have a feeling that you just did great. Oh, and I'm like, thanks. (laughs) Meanwhile, you have this internal turmoil of, of like not, you know, getting where you wanted to be. You can't really talk about it. So the only person that really knows is Russell. And can you talk about it with Russell? So here's the thing about it with Russell. Oh, what? No, Russell's the best. Russell okay, is okay. like Good. being is like the man throughout all of this. He as has long as you don't come out of here being like this. Russell's Ru- a douchebag. But, but, <laughs> but here's my thing with Russell. I feel shame for having shame with Russell, and this is what I mean. Russell's attitude is Zach. You had the experience. You got five thousand dollars, which is great. And what what's the problem, kind of? So I feel like I felt bad coming to Russell and being like, boo-hoo, woe is me. He's like, yo, I sat with you through all of this and all I got was a, a crappy hotel room. Like, you know what I mean? Oh, so am I going to vent to Russell? Now, Russell is the most gracious dude. I'm sure he'd be like... It's all good, you know, and and I'll be there for you. But I felt guilt. I felt shame in feeling shame about the experience and expressing it to Russell. So in short, I just kind of 
bottled it up. Another thing that oh. happened um, that was like really weird is I had a boss who knew I was on Millionaire, my boss at the time, and he'd come up to me and he'd say things like, $125,000. And he's like, kind of like sizing me up, looking at me like this. And I'm first mm-hmm. thinking, I'm like, is this your salary? Because it's not mine. You know, I didn't say that. <laughs> I didn't say that. But I'm thinking, he's like, no, I'm just trying to guess. Just trying to guess what you got. Blah, blah, blah. And he would come up to me and he would be like, Mm, 64,000, you know, and he would do that like weird. And so it was like, it was, it was very uncomfortable not being able to express it. And mm-hmm. people in some ways thinking I did, everybody thought I did, nobody thought I got 5,000. Everybody thought I did better than I did. So just like having to keep that secret was really tough and kind of like festered the shame i mean back to brene brown right didn't she say like isn't that like how you make uh like shame grow by keeping it a secret or whatever that's so (laughs) funny i was gonna um go back to a brene brown you know thing because it sounds like you're a fan also but when you were talking about your friend russell like I don't want to say he was silver lining this situation because you're going to him because he's really the only person that you can share this secret with and talk to him about. And you can't help the way that you feel the shame or disappointment. You cannot help how you feel. A feeling is a feeling, right? But like the last thing that you want your friend to do that you're confiding in. No, I hope Russell's not watching this or listening to this, but um, is like to silver line things because it makes people think that how they're feeling isn't really okay. And you just have to own it and kind of like deal with it, share, you know, your problem and talk about it and like get it out. And so especially, you know, you having to keep that in for a year, like festering is like the perfect word to describe how this is Mm -hmm. absolutely going on. Yo, the the truth is, and I love that Russell's become such a big part of this. <laughs> to, cl- to clear to clear Russell's name, I was not completely vulnerable with him and my feelings at the time around how disappointed I was, mm-hmm. the kind of shame I was feeling. Mm-hmm. I was putting on a happy face and moving on. And yeah, so I feel like if I were completely honest with him, I think he would have totally been more, like, a, great to confide in about it. I think that we just kind of had a, 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 a kind of like a faux understanding of, yeah, 5,000, we did it, nice job, thumbs up, move on. You know, it, it, it takes an extra level of vulnerability. It takes an extra level of emotional intelligence for him to even ask. Like, it takes... It takes a lot to try and disentangle this complicated web of emotions. And also there's that like weird dynamic of like, he's a coworker too. And you have to like bring him from coworker level to like, Hey, I need to like talk to you level, which if I had like some of my coworkers, that'd be a real weird conversation to have. Like I'd have to really trust my boy Russell to like come in and be like, Hey, I know you came out for me, but I have got this really bracing pain within me like that's hard that's hard for everyone so you know hopefully you haven't beaten yourself up too much about it let's take a quick break 
Do you want to bring the 2020 perspective insights to your team, community group, or company? This season, we're opening the door to talk with you about your failures and engage in a dialogue with the community that matters to you. For this season only, we're running a special offer called the Failure to Findings Talk, where we can help you learn from failure and build a culture around being a successful failure. Reach out to us at hello at the2020perspective.com and let us know you're interested in the Failure to Findings Talk. Again, that's hello at the2020perspective.com. Let's fail out loud together. And now back to the failure. You know, okay, so lead us to like the actual like episode airing. Like what happens when the episode airs? Well, um, the episode aired and first off, I get a message of the day that it's supposed to air an email. And it's like two days before. So at the time, you know, like I work, so I'm, you know, so I'm DVRing it and, um, I get home to watch it. It's the wrong friggin' episode. <laughs> it's not you. It's not me. <laughs> oh gosh. What a tease. So that's again, like just anybody who, um, is on a game show or a TV show and you're trying to have communication with the studio about when it's airing, what time, etc. it can be really difficult. So finally, yeah. you know, I send okay. I like I send them a message, they never get back to me. So I just literally end up DVRing the next like X amount of episodes. Literally, it was only 2 days later, so it, you know, it was it was me. Um but so that was like part of the weirdness. I didn't feel like I could have like an announcement about it. Um, I told my family that it was airing. Some of them mm-hmm. were watching it. Some of them didn't know, you know. So it was kind of like a weird. I ne- like I never got to really have the catharsis. Um, yeah. A, yeah. And I'll even be really honest and vulnerable with you guys. I felt super icky when I saw the episode air. And let me tell you why. So when they interviewed me originally, they were like, hey, we want to learn, you know, some things about you and, you know, quirks about you. And I'm like, okay, well, one quirk about me is that I live in like an old uh, apartment in the East Village. It was like a building from the 1900. And I have my... uh, bath in in my bathtub is in the middle of my kitchen so it's like (laughs) yeah so it's like very new york it's a very old school and i'm like yo i'm originally from the suburbs so this is like i'm living my urban dream blah 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 so they're like cool cool listen to how they introduce me so they they start the episode and they go desperate times call for desperate measures wow what and and yeah, and they're literally like, this poor guy lives in this crazy apartment and he needs help today. Let's help him out with who wants to be a millionaire. Oh my gosh. He used like the weird quirk to make you into a sob story Straight of up. financial distress. 
straight up and oh, and this is no. your identity Mm-mm. and you know your peers are watching this your co-workers are watching your families oh, and God. you know mom calls is like honey are you okay <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah so that was like super grody and icky and, and a, a big value of mine is like self-expression and authentic self-expression and this was not it also like what where like what i could wear um they they originally i was like yo this was also like a lumber sexual time of life so it was like 2015 so i was like like, okay hey all right well i'm still here for it all day um because i was i was wearing i was like yo i want to wear like this flannel and it's like yo this is like i'm just like a normal dude here to do my thing and they were like no, 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 you can't wear this flannel. You need to wear this, like, blue button-down. Like, I had, like, a backup, which was, like, I really didn't want to wear. I, like, literally ran out to Macy's the night before to get a backup. And I had this, like, blue button-down and these, like, black slacks. And she's like, oh, this will look much nicer. And I saw that somebody else had a different producer. And it was, like, a scruffy guy with a flannel. And I was like, uh. (laughs) But, like, again, it's, like, it's not, again, for me, it was just, like, authentic representation of the story who i am etc and i feel like the way i was represented as well was a little bit just dishonest they robbed you Mm -hmm. of your authenticity is what they did they can get very clever with editing of you know all those reality shows game shows reality shows i mean they can make they can make whatever story they want. I mean, it's actually very impressive how they can edit it and weave things together. But in this situation, you know, I feel bad because they robbed you of your moment. It sucks. Yeah, I, yeah, it was, it was, it was disappointing. It made me not want to share the episode with people because I'm like, especially for that Enneagram three, it's like, I don't want to be cast in that way. I want to be seen as somebody who is doing good in the world. Yeah, (laughs) that's brutal. So you really got kind of dug in this emotional hole. Like you had a year of shame. You had the tease of the catharsis. Yep. Then you had the reality of the, you know, mis- uh, you know, representation. So, oh, the roller coaster of it all. Yeah. <laughs> you have, talk about, yeah. So you're definitely in the pits of despair. So what do you, like, what happens next? Well, what happened next is that I had to forgive myself. I had to realize that hey, feeling shame, feeling all this shame, it's really unnecessary. And it is completely self-destructive. Was this just kind of like a choice? Like you you flipped a coin or like threw a dart at the wall and said, all right, forgiveness. Cool. We'll do that. Or like, how did you get to that? That's that's fair. Yeah. I, I mean, I think with many things, it's time. Um, time heals wounds. The other piece is it just wasn't serving me. Like, I don't like to spend a lot of time at the effect of life or feeling like a victim. It's just so unproductive and unhelpful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So I really, I just kind of moved on. Something else, too, is I connected with, I had a friend who was on The Price is Right. 
And she... Another game show. The, another game show. And she was on, and she had an opportunity to win a bunch of money, and she ended up losing. So being able to connect with her was really nice, just to be like, yo, we were we were in that Teddy Roosevelt, Brene Brown arena, and it, it, it ain't always easy out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you could start a support group of former game show contestants, I'm sure... Well, that's actually really interesting. Like, the fact that you failed, the fact that you didn't make Boohoo money, it it opened your eyes to this other group of people who are also non-winners at game shows, which is probably a larger percentage of people than game show winners. And it's almost like you have you have the secret identity. You have the card that gets you into the club. It's not a fun club. You know, the window dressings aren't very expensive, but it's still... Uh, it's still a community. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Allowed me to have more empathy. I will be honest, before this moment, I would be that guy who's screaming at the television, calling so-and-so an idiot for getting the wrong answer on a game show. And now I just, when I watch someone and I see them and they're struggling on a game show, I just have empathy. <laughs> So a bunch of things in this episode, there's the actual moments of choice, like in the game show, like in, in the clutch, in the moment, uh, the feeling like you didn't live up to expectations. So like walking off the show and be like, I didn't even make six figures, um, that, that kind of thing, the, like how to kind of reconcile those feelings on that train ride home. That was like a big moment. And then not being able to talk about it and having all these other people's expectations of your performance and what you got and how much money you made and all that jazz. And like, that's, that's a a moment associated with it. And then like the actual debut of the show in the perspective that he was just a character in a narrative that they were spinning to sell money and ad spots and stuff. And like just part of this bigger, bigger machine and one's personal failure is it's really not that big deal because they're just using him to make money. Mm-hmm. Wow. You recap that very nicely. What sticks out <laughs> for me uh, from that is because I'm, you know, I'm such a huge Brene Brown fan um, is the piece about shame. I feel like he weaved this idea or this feeling. I don't even know if he recognized it, but it was woven throughout the entire process like from the moment he got on the train, even before that, when he said he was picking out his clothes and he had what what he was wearing that made him feel comfortable and authentic to him. And he had this other option just as a backup um, that he had to like run out the night before and grab. It, it, they, they were like, you, you know, you need to wear this. And he's like, okay, fine. And I think he was just feeling like a little out of his skin because um, – he had different expectations that were not met. And then those eventually led to this feeling of shame that he couldn't share because he couldn't talk about the show with anyone. And the one person that was there with him didn't understand or relate. And that's a lot. That's like a really heavy weight to carry around for a whole year plus before the show aired. Yeah. And I mean, this is also weight that has been building since he was a kid. Like Mm -hmm. thinking about being on a game show 
and then finally getting the opportunity and then just every single taste along the way just got sour and more and more sour. It's like in the waiting room, just like plugging you with questions and being asked to show up and, oh, no, sorry, it's not today. It's another day. Um, like all these little nudges that show the reality of the situation and just how deflating each little pinprick turns out to be. Mm-hmm. But I got I to gotta hand it to him. Like the redemption at the end of realizing that it's a game show – that's just how they do the things. You know, I learned from it. I moved on. Um, I think that's that's the reconciliation story that is really at the heart of this failure. Is there's, It was an experience that wasn't what you expected it to be, but you're better because of it. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's super powerful. And I think when we talk a lot about failure, and we've talked to a lot of people this season about failure, it's recognizing that it's, just a stepping stone and we move on and there's a bigger picture and there's a bigger purpose and we manifest what we need to see and it's just a chapter like this it's just one moment and when it's just one moment you can you can persevere through it and you can learn from it and you can move on you know what's interesting about what you just said that kind of perked up I'm gonna talk about myself for a second you know I like to do that so (laughs) um you know when what you said about how Zach had these expectations from when he was a kid and he was super jacked up about you know being on a game show he was like obsessed with them and um you know it was kind of like this dream to to be on a game show one day and when those expectations weren't met the all the other feelings ensued and I'm thinking about something I've recognized in the past couple of years with me is you know, I love to travel and, you know, I spent a year in Asia and whatever. And that to me, people are like, how did you do that? How like, that's so brave of you. To me, it is like the least brave thing because you have no expectations. When you go to another place, a foreign country, you don't know the people you're going to meet, the sights, the smells. You go into it knowing that you don't know. And so even when, you know, your hotel room gets broken into and you get robbed in the middle of the night or, you know, you like miss a train or a flight or get hurt or whatever it's like it's fine it's kind of like you just pick up your your luggage and you keep moving forward because that blip that setback that failure is like you're not really prepared or expecting or whatever and it's kind of like it's okay you kind of go into this you know like trip or whatever without any kind of expectations I think it's different than like a vacation you know when you're really like traveling and and so there's not a lot of room for like missed like opportunities, you know what I mean? Or like these, these shameful feelings from like mm-hmm. failing because your expectations are just like totally unwritten. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to call you out a little bit here because okay. uh, as a failure professional, I think you are uniquely suited to handle the <laughs> blips and the, <laughs> the nuances of, of travel and vacationing. Because let me tell you, I have traveled with people, mm-hmm. I have known people who traveled, and myself as well, have been very upset when traveling because it didn't align or meet my expectations. Mm-hmm. And that's usually because I didn't have the right expectations set. Mm-hmm. Or I, you know, built something up and it didn't live up to it. Or, you know, I remember, so I went to Finland on a vacation. Mm-hmm. And I was so excited to go to Finland. I had been dreaming about going to Finland for, by, you know, since I was 15. Mm-hmm. 
And when I went there, it was cold. No duh, Dan. It's February in <laughs> Finland. And, you know, one of my expectations, this was going to be this Arctic wonderland, you know, underneath the northern lights, you know, hanging out in, um, in the woods, doing like dog sledding and hanging out with reindeer. And I spent a lot of time in coffee shops. Because it was so dang cold, you couldn't just like wander around for days on end. You would hang out in a coffee shop because the coffee was really, really good. And then you'd go out for a little like excursion because it was snowy and cold. And when you're snowy and cold, you don't want to stay out forever. And then we go back to a coffee shop and go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it didn't live up to my expectations, but I was okay because in other ways, it completely blew my expectations out Mm -hmm. of the water. Mm -hmm. I met the most cool people at those coffee shops. There's a little bar nearby that they serve hot dogs at. I was like, what? Hot dogs? Yeah, they love their hot dogs. Yeah. Um, and so we would get hot dogs with someone at a bar and, like, chat all night and play darts and have a great time. And I would have never had that expectation going into it. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, we did do some, like, cool stuff like ice jumping into, like, a river and going to the saunas and, and stuff. Um, but more often it was, like, the quiet moments that I didn't expect. Yeah. I didn't know what to look for. And, you know, that's the funny thing about travel to me is – yeah, there are expectations you set, but it's almost like the expectations you never created. And those are the things, those are the memories you remember. I mean, I guess to relate that to like the game show um, or just in general is when we don't meet the expectations that we have for ourselves. And mm. maybe the higher they are, the the bar is, you know, the longer that we've set these expectations, like in Zach's case since childhood, the harder the fall is because they're set so much higher. And so it hurts more. (laughs) Um, You know, and like you said, you were wanting to go to Finland since you were like 15. So you kind of, you've been thinking about and anticipating it in your mind, kind of like dreaming about what that would be like. And we really don't know until we're in the moment, until we're in the present. And we spend a lot of time beforehand, you know, dreaming, fantasizing, thinking, analyzing, Lord knows I analyze, you know, um, until we're actually in the moment and you can't have the answers until you're there. So, you know, I thought Zach's conversation and the interview that we had, it reminded me a lot of our conversation from season one with Nano. Mm -hmm. This idea of having an expectation, trying to live the dream. And at least in Nano's case, he realized that his behavior over a long period of time was changing and he wasn't liking who he became. Whereas with Zach's, it was, you had these expectations and the reality was so different from what those expectations were. And so it's almost like Nano's story compressed into like three minutes on a game show of here, we're going to try and do this thing. Oh my gosh, we're going to do it. Oh my gosh, it's not working. I'll let it expected. And I failed. Yeah. And then, and then what? And the, 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 and then what is such, so interesting mm-hmm. like that, that next step, like how do you process through it? How do you talk about it? How do you reconcile it? How do you get a new perspective? Oh, those stories feel connected to me. We probably need to have a part two with Zach because like he said, he was feeling so much shame that he didn't even really share. Like not a lot of people know that he was on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Like a couple of his family members and his like coworkers, but he didn't blast it out into the world. So I think that now that maybe this episode comes out and he's probably going to share it with people he might want to well we're going to link his his video clip we're totally linking his video clip in the the episode notes so he's still processing so this is this is a failure in the works this is in progress so we might have to check back in with him and see what the status is 
Thanks to No BS Brass Band for the banging show music. Check them out at nobsbrass.com. And subscribe on your favorite podcast player or follow us on Facebook to get the newest failures delivered right to your ears. And may your failures be spectacular.